Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's Message of the Week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. Good morning, everybody. Thanks, Hamish. Thanks, Lisa. It's great just to focus on the amazing nature and the love of God uh, this morning. I think that's very precious and I trust actually it's lifted your eyes uh, to where they should be, which is to be fixed upon Jesus. As uh, Lisa said, we are going to continue our series in James. And uh, this morning is no different. And we're going to look at an amazing passage uh, from James chapter four. If you'd like to find that on your devices or uh, in your paper Bible, which I still like to use very much. And um, we're also going to have on the screen, Susie is going to put up the, uh, the, the passage soon. Um, but it is a, an amazing passage that um, we're going to be looking at. It's a very rich passage. It's full of gold this morning. Um, but I want you to just consider the voice that is behind this passage, the voice of James, because it is a bit Yorkshire this morning. It's uh, got that to it. And I know that we're wonderfully in Yorkshire. So I think James might have been a Yorkshireman uh, and you should be able to hear this quite well. Us soft southerners who have come up to Yorkshire, we might get a bit offended by some of the language here. But I want you to hear the voice. The, the voice is of a passionate father in God, a passionate father in God who doesn't want us to spoil and to lose out on the most precious gift that we've received, which is our salvation of our souls. And he wants to speak to us very clearly about the, the battles that we face as Christians, but also God's grace to us and his means for us to live in victory. I'm not going to be able to speak about the whole passage at all this morning. I'm going to focus just on uh, seven small words uh, in this passage, but we're going to read it. And so I'm just going to pray before we, we go through this passage that the Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth, that he would speak to our hearts uh, this morning as we read the verses and then as I speak. So Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you that you make Jesus real to us. We thank you that you bring the Father's presence to us. And we ask now as we read the word of God that you would make things clear to us, that you would highlight for us what is important in your heart for us to hear. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, just to help me with my words this morning, help me to be precise, help me to share with such faith and warmth that Father, uh, Holy Spirit, that the Father would be glorified and Jesus highly honoured. Amen. So if we can have up the words, Susio, that would be great. Uh, the first part of the passage, James chapter four, going to read from the NIV. We're going to read from verses one through to the end of verse 12. And James writes, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. But when you ask God, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. 
You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you not think the scriptures say without reason that God jealously longs for the spirit that he made to live in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? Amen. Amen. Wow. Said it was a bit Yorkshire. So, uh, and it is, uh, but it is uh, a very passionate uh, letter, passionate word to the saints uh, in, uh, in Israel uh, that were dispersed throughout the whole nation. I um, wonder if we can have the, uh, the, this, the, other, the next slide, please, Susie. I, I just want to give you a brief overview of what um, James is saying here in, in this passage, because one of the things he's doing is pointing out what are the three greatest enemies of our souls. Uh, and it's really important that we understand where our battlegrounds are. And he points out three uh, clear things. He points out the world, the flesh, and the devil. And when he talks about the world, he's talking about the prevailing culture, the, the mindset, the thinking uh, that goes on in our society. And for us here in the UK, um, that prevailing culture is uh, it's a, a liberal secularism that we live under, uh, where image, where what we have in terms of the money in our bank, the houses, the, the, uh, the things that we accumulate to self have a huge, porch, uh, huge importance to us, where fame is important. So is individualism is a god to us. Uh, that, that would be uh, the world. And, and then the flesh is, is those appetites and desires that we have. And, you know, many of our appetites and desires are, are wonderfully God-given, but they've become distorted by our sin uh, and, and we have to be cleansed of that and we have to be renewed. And of course, then the last thing that uh, James mentions here is the devil. We have a real enemy of our souls. He is the tempter. He is the liar, the one that lies and, and twists truth so that we would abandon God and we would follow his ways. And, 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 and he, he really hates us. He hates Christians. But the wonderful thing is that Jesus has defeated him he has conquered him on the cross and has made a public display of him 
and we live in the victory of Jesus Christ. And so, but we have to be aware. Peter says he's like a lion roaring around looking for someone to consume. So James has highlighted the, these three powerful enemies of our soul. And then he wonderfully goes on to give us five keys, five remarkable golden nuggets or not golden keys to help us overcome uh, these three enemies of our soul. I want Susie, if you could just put that slide up for me, that would be great. Thank you. And, and we see that in what we've read, God's means of victory is that there's more grace, that humility is a real key, a real attitude that we have to have in our hearts if we're going to receive that grace and become dependent on God, that we are to submit to God, that we can know God's presence. God's presence isn't just for meetings. It's not just for our devotional time. It's for the every moment in our lives that we can draw near to, to God. And, and it says he will draw near to us. And then finally, this beautiful gift of repentance is a wonderful key for us to uh, experience and know victory uh, over these things in our lives. But we can't spend uh, the time I've got this morning looking at all of those. And, and I just felt God draw me specifically to uh, these few words in chapter seven. I'm uh, sorry, in verse seven of the chapter we read. And they say this, submit yourselves then to God. Just those few words, submit yourselves then to God. And I feel that though this can be a very personal word, and it is a very personal word for each one of us to submit ourselves to God, I think it is also a word in season for us as a church, as God moves us forward, as, as the elders uh, pointed out to us in our recent uh, night, half night of prayer about the, the direction that we're seeking to go on. Actually, it requires each one of us to be submitted uh, to God. And I want to spend some time now just looking at what does it mean to be submitted to God? And I'm going to speak a lot about Jesus uh, this morning. I try to find an example. I can't go beyond Jesus as the one who lived in submission to God. And I'm so glad I'm preaching just off the back of Easter because actually there's the Easter story contains so much of what it is to be a man, a woman who loves Jesus, who is choosing to submit themselves to him. And for many weeks, I've been very, uh, uh, very much thinking about the last words that Jesus said on the cross. It's been gripping me. I've been um, meditating on it uh, for some time. And it's found in Luke uh, chapter 23, where he cries out, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. I find those words so poignant, so powerful, and so incredibly trusting. They are wonderfully relational, but they are, if you like, the pinnacle of what it means to submit to God. It is perfect submission. And actually, it's in the Easter story that 
we probably find the, the simplest definition of what it is to submit to God. And if we look at Gethsemane, where Jesus was considering in absolute agony the, the cross, the torment of what was to come, he utters these words three times, doesn't he? Father, not my will, but yours be done. And so when we consider what it is to submit to God, it means to me in three areas that I must submit my life to God. That The first one is that I, I align myself, my thinking, my, my, my will, my life, my uh, attitudes to this one thing. I submit myself to what God says about himself. And then I submit and align my thinking and my will and my life to this, what God says about me. And I'm going to be really honest. I have found that the hardest of the three things I'm going to mention is actually aligning myself to what God says about me. What God would say that I am a son. That I, I don't have to spend my life on introspection, on punishing myself because actually Jesus was punished for me. That I can live out of a new life. The other other Sunday, two weeks ago, at the end of the worship time, Adam spoke magnificently about who we are in Christ. Those royal robes that we don't deserve, but actually we can wear as sons and daughters of the king. It's so important that I align myself, I submit myself to what God says about me. And then the third thing I, I need to submit to is God's ways, what God says about how he wants me to live, how I am to think, and, 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 and how uh, I, I am to walk before him uh, as a son uh, of God. And, and, you know, this whole thing of submission is really quite counterculture, countercultural for us, isn't it? It's not a word that we like to think about. And in fact, we can feel quite frightened or even fearful about what it is to submit to someone, to submit to God. And I just want to speak into that just for a, a moment or two, because Jesus has pointed out, and actually something we've sung this morning should help us see that actually we're not submitting ourselves to a dictator like in human form that we see in, in the world, even today. But actually, we're sit, submitting ourselves to the one who said this to his disciples. He said, look, don't lord, when, when, you know, if you consider the Gentile rulers, they lord it over people. But he says, no, not so with you. But the one that wants to be a leader must be the servant, the servant of all. And he went on to say uh, about himself, he says this in, in Matthew 20, he says, I did not come to be served, but to give my life as a ransom for many. And it's this same Jesus who would take a towel and a bowl and take off his garment and wash the feet of his disciples. You see, God will not violate his character. He does not control his love is his nature 
And his late love is not controlling. In fact, to control love means that it's not love at all. This is the one that we're called to submit to. And through his prophet Jeremiah, he said, look, these are the plans I have for you. They're, they're for good. They're for your welfare. They're not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. And Jesus also said this, he said, I, I don't call you servants. I don't call you slaves. I call you friends. You see, when I submit to God, I, I'm not going to be used as some uh, pawn in, 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 the, in God's hands or some minion. But actually, he's going to treat me uh, as a friend. And actually, we sang this morning, I can see the love in your eyes, laying yourself down, raising the broken to life. That's the one that we're called to submit to. He's the one. It's this Jesus. And so fear should not be part of our um, reason for not submitting to God. And so I want to look at Jesus because, as I say, Jesus modeled perfectly living a submitted or surrendered life to God. And, and he is our example. And I just want to read from uh, Philippians to a passage, perhaps, that we know quite well, but I just feel there are some things in there that can help us in terms of our submission to God. And he said, Paul writes this, he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And there's four things that we see here. The first thing we see is that he did not grasp after position. And that actually when I submit myself to God, what I do is I actually open my hand. I am letting go of my life. I'm saying, Lord, you can have my life. It's not something to be grasped, but it's actually something to come with an open hand. And it says he made himself nothing. He laid aside his own strength. He laid aside uh, his own power, his own might, his own abilities. And, and when I come as I am, I, I bring all of that and I say, God, I'm submitting to that. I, I'm letting myself go because what you've got is far better than what I have. That's the wonder of submission. It's not a case of loss. It's a case of, of gain. I die so that Christ can live in me. And it says here he humbled himself. It's an extraordinary thing to me to think that Jesus became utterly reliant on the Holy Spirit utterly reliant on the Holy Spirit. He did what he did because the Holy Spirit was actively working through him. And then he became obedient, even to death on a cross. And the reality is, is that submission or to God must be worked out. And it's worked out through our obedience to what he says. As I say, what he says about himself, what he says about us, and what he says about the way we are to live. 
And notice how Paul has written this. He's written this that, in, that he did. He humbled himself. He became obedient. He made himself. You see, submission to God is an utter voluntary act. I would suggest it's an act of faith filled with love. We are overwhelmed with the majesty and the glory of who he is. His love has won our hearts. And so to submit to him is to submit and surrender to love. That's what we're doing. We're giving over to him. So Jesus said of himself, again, which I find utterly remarkable the more I've looked at this. He says what we know quite well. He says, I do not do, or I only do what I see the Father doing. And I have not spoken of my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded what to, uh, commanded me what to say, what I should speak. And I think if you just pause for a moment and think, this is Jesus. This is the one who the Bible says that all of creation was made through him and for him. This is the one actually who was speaking into existence, let there be. And as he humbled himself, when he came on earth and humbled himself and submitted to the Father, he didn't even allow himself to have his own words or do his own works. But he perfectly said and followed what the Father was saying and what the Father was doing. And a question that we might want to ask ourselves, and if you're not, I'm going to ask it anyway, what was Jesus's motivation for his obedience? What was his motivation for doing this? And I came across this verse last year. I must have read it before, but it, it hit me with such force last year. It's been with me since about August. And it's from John 14, verse 31. And Jesus said this to the disciples. He said, so that the world knows that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commands. Let me just read that again. So that the world knows that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commands. See, for Jesus, there was no cold obedience. There's no gun to my head. There never will be to obey Jesus. For, 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 for Jesus to submit to God, to his father, was an act of pure devotion. It was an act of wonderful love. And actually, he said that. He said, I have kept my father's commandment and abide in his love. And he said to us something very similar. He, he says in, in John 14, he says this, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This is all relational. This is all to do with love. Yes, my will is involved. Yes, I must bend my will to him. I must bow my will to him. But the motivation, the, 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 the fuel in the engine, as it were, is the love of God, that my love for him enables me to bend that knee and to focus on him. The one thing we've learned about James is he's intensely practical. And so I just 
want to really begin to bring this to a close uh, by just saying, so what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? Well, I think the first thing this means is that today there is a choice. Will I trust the goodness of God? Will I trust God enough to give him the whole of my life? Yes, I love to receive his forgiveness. Yes, I love to receive the Holy Spirit. In fact, I cannot be born again without the Holy Spirit. I, I cannot be born again unless I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that uh, he, I, and I confess my sin to him and that he died and rose again. But actually also to be a Christian is to submit myself to God, to come under his lordship his benevolent lordship and so today I, there's a choice there's a challenge and obedience as i said is the outworking or the outward expression of my submission to god and i just wanted to be really practical and i'm going to speak of myself and and please don't make anything of me because of some of the things i'm going to say but i just want to give expression of what does it mean to submit to God? What does it look like to submit to God? And I'm not perfect in this, but there are areas of my life that I can speak about. And, and I've just got a small list here that represents something of, of, of what it means to submit to God. First thing is this, to submit to God for me means that I tell the truth and I don't exaggerate. You don't know me when I was a teenager, when I was a child. I lied so much that I lost the plot on where I started and where I finished. I was a compulsive liar and a compulsive exaggerator. And so to come to Jesus and to live submitted life means, no, I, I tell the truth and I, I don't exaggerate. I don't steal, but I am generous. And again, as, as, as a child, as a teenager, I was a thief. God's forgiven me of that. And he's made me, he's taught me how to be generous in my heart. To submit to God means this, that I seek to love my wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her, to nurture her and to cherish who she is, to see her flourish, to see her succeed. It, it's meant for me to submit my life that on occasions God has asked me to move house and move location. It's meant for me to submit my life means that he has the right and has used that right to, for me to give up my career. And then also to give up my ministry and my leadership roles in the church. He has that right. It's also meant that I've lived an open Christian life before my colleagues at work and have suffered uh, ridicule and actual physical abuse because I've done so. But also over the years, I've had the joy of laying hands on some of my colleagues that were sick and seeing them healed, seeing salvation come and receiving extraordinary respect 
from people because over the years, 25 years in one company, I stay consistent to my love for Jesus. And it means at times that, um, not at times, it means that God owns my, my, my wealth, my, my finances. And it's meant at times that I've responded to God when he said to me, Mark, I want you to double tithe for a season or two. And, and, and I want you to give this and that. And God's graced me in a way that I've been able to give sometimes substantially. See, being submitted to God has real outcomes, real outcomes on the relationships, on how I've raised my children, how I've lived uh, my life and how I've joined in incredible adventures with God. I just want to say that submitting to the love of God, submitting to God is not restrictive. In fact, it is the most freeing thing that you can do. And it's the most exciting thing you can do. God and I have had some amazing adventures. And I continue to still be on amazing adventures. I'm on an adventure with Sharmini and myself right now. We're right in the middle of another exciting adventure as we submit our lives uh, to God. There's no greater place to be. I want to say, don't hold back. From God. Don't give him part. In fact, the other night at the prayer meeting, Sharmini brought a word about attics in our lives and basements in our lives where perhaps we don't want God to go. Perhaps there's areas of shame. I, I want to say, look, you can come to God with all that shame. I've had to do that. I've made some dreadful mistakes in my life. But actually, I can submit those to God. And be healed and restored. So submission to God is, is to be a delightful thing. It's to be an exciting thing. He is not to be feared. And his plans, as I said earlier, for you are for good. I feel, as I say, I think this is very relevant for us as a church. And just one final thought before we go into our breakout rooms this morning is this. I think there is something about being under authority that releases authority. Because what we read about Jesus, I didn't go on to read, but it says he gave himself even to death on a cross. And then it goes on to say, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. We don't look for exaltation in man's eyes. That's not what we want. But actually, there is something about the flow of authority. And I wonder, actually, in this coming season that God wants to say to us that actually, and as, as I said to my disciples, all authority is given to me, therefore go. I would say that to you. Go heal the sick. Go raise the dead. Go cast out demons. Go preach the good news of the gospel, teaching all men everywhere to obey. Some of the weakness in our authority comes because we are not fully submitted to him. And he wants you and me to be exceedingly fruitful, exceedingly fruitful in our lives. And when I hold back, when I do not submit myself to God, 
I'm cutting off the vital life supply that produces fruit in me. Just before we go into our groups and we look at those questions again, I just want to pray for us. Just want to pray. Because I feel God is calling us. He's calling us again to allow the Holy Spirit to examine our lives and to put his finger on any area that I am holding back from. He won't prize my fingers open. No, I need to open my hand towards him, not to grasp, but to release to him all that I am so that all that he is can flow through me and flow through you. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your perfect example. We thank you, Lord, it cost you absolutely everything. We thank you for the quality of your trust in your father. That you could say into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. We pray, Holy Spirit, would you work in us? Would you show us where we are not submitting to the father? where we are not coming under his benevolent rule and reign. For we want to be men and women, distinct men and women who are utterly free in our relationship with you and in our reflection of you to the world. So please come. Please come. We again would say to you, here we are. We give ourselves to you.